So there I was, standing in line at the gas station convenience store, waiting to check out. I had a huge bag of potato chips, two candy bars, and a pint of ice cream in my hands. And I was getting annoyed at the person in front of me. They were taking forever, and I was worried my ice cream was melting. So I'm looking around, and I spot the beer display, and I think... I may not be drinking, but this is no different than all those times I used to stand in line with a case of beer in my hands. I wanted to get home, crack into it, and just erase the week. My client Cindy had stopped drinking more than 22 years ago, but binge eating had continued to pop up in her life from time to time. She hadn't binged in months, but she told me I knew what I was doing Friday night, and I binged anyway. And over the weekend, she repeated the process, purchasing and consuming more food. I felt insatiable, she said. But by Monday, she started to level with herself. Cindy said, I don't feel good. My whole body aches from the sugar. I'm not making myself feel better. I'm just making myself feel worse. And what is it that I'm insatiable for? With all the food I've eaten, it can't possibly be actual hunger. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary Claire Brescia. Cindy felt insatiable, but she knew she was eating far more food than was necessary. She realized she was feeling highly anxious and tense. She tried to take stock of her mental state this week and figure out why this week, of all the weeks of the year, she had felt like binge eating after months of eating normally. Cindy had been worrying that she couldn't keep up with the other people at work. So she worked longer hours, staying late every night, working through lunch breaks, and generally exhausting herself. She could sense this was not the best self-care move of the year, So she started to criticize herself for losing the balance in her life. And now she felt like she doubted her own competence and she felt inept at taking care of herself. By Friday, she was underslept, overworked, and in high emotional distress. No wonder she found herself, arms full, in the line at the convenience store. In the last episode... I talked about self-monitoring your wellness by checking on how well five of your basic psychological needs are being met. Self-monitoring allows us to intervene early when our distresses are smaller before they grow into an ocean of unmet needs. If Cindy had been monitoring her mental well-being, she may have noticed Tuesday or Wednesday that she was on a crash course and made some adjustments. That's the companion skill to self-monitoring, taking action to respond to what you find. It's not helpful to notice we're in distress if we aren't going to do anything about it, right? Imagine you're swimming at the beach. You feel an undertow and your head starts to go underwater. As you splash your arms and scream when your head pops through the surface, you realize the lifeguard sees you and he says, hey, somebody's in distress, and then just watches. God, that'd be terrible. When we're in distress, we need someone to help us. And since nobody else can frequently see our psychological distress, we learn to take care of ourselves. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't know what to do about our own distress. 
or we prioritize attending to ourselves as less important than attending to all the other people in our lives. So we limp along in psychological pain until we can't anymore. And that's often where binge eating comes in. My goal for my clients is to be able to notice early when they're in psychological distress and also to know what to do to help themselves feel better. If the lifeguard isn't going to jump in and help, you can jump in and help yourself. Let's talk about some ideas for addressing each of the five basic psychological needs that I talked about in the previous podcast episode. First up, are you feeling less safe? Worries about the future or our health are difficult to shake because we can never have 100% certainty. What can help us cope with this unavoidable vulnerability is seeking knowledge about how we can best protect ourselves and taking reasonable actions to keep ourselves safe. For example, with the current pandemic, wearing a face mask when you're in public and hand washing are wise precautions. Because feeling unsafe is a worry that's fairly universal, it can be soothing to talk about it with other people. Often we feel better just by discovering how much we share this human experience with others. I find it can also be comforting to think about all the professionals who are there to help us if we get sick or injured. I'm happy I don't live in Sparta or something where I would just be left to die in the woods if I got sick. Feeling less physically safe is one concern, but psychological safety is just as necessary for well-being. Psychological safety is a belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, or mistakes. It's the safety to speak your mind and be yourself. If you feel like saying the wrong thing will make somebody in your life blow up, make fun of you, or belittle you, you don't have psychological safety. This can be an issue in personal relationships, workplaces, or any group. Even Facebook groups each have a culture which varies in how psychologically safe it is. I have two ideas that you can try out if you're upset from feeling psychologically unsafe. One, check if your fears are substantiated by past experience. Sometimes we project how awfully people will respond to us, but it's just our fears. People are totally kind and supportive. Number two, if there is evidence that you are in a psychologically unsafe group or relationship, consider whether that's possible to change. It might be. It might not be. And consider whether you'd be better off leaving that group or relationship. Either one could help you feel so much better. Let's talk about the next psychological need, feeling capable and competent. Making a mistake can trigger a feeling of being dumb or a fool. When we feel this way, we're often seeing the world through a mental filter. Suddenly, we remember every other thing we botched in life, while we forget about all of our successes. Placing that mental filter down means also deliberately remembering all the things you did and do well. Think of the times you excelled and the strengths you have. Don't forget them just because you made a mistake. 
it can also be helpful to take stock of what resources you have. After all, I may not know how to do a lot of things, but if I'm feeling less capable, I can remind myself that I can always learn new things, and I'm able to find a suitable expert to help me. At very least, I can improve my abilities with an afternoon of YouTube. In Cindy's case, her feelings of incompetence were fears that were not actually substantiated by any evidence. If she looked at her job performance and what she was getting done, there was zero factual basis for her feeling of falling behind. You might have some of these fears, too, that pop up again and again. Worry that you didn't do well enough, that you aren't smart enough, or that you're failing in some way. It can be helpful to recognize that story in your mind as just that. It's a story, not fact. You might say to yourself, yeah, I feel like I'm not capable of doing this, but I have felt that way a thousand other times, and it turned out that I was able to pull it off. Let's talk about feeling better if your need for autonomy is not being met. Autonomy is basically free will. If you feel like you are bossed around, forced into things, and generally unable to do what you want to, it's a contributing factor to burnout and depression. To help soothe this type of distress, start by making some decisions. Decide what you want to wear, where you want to move the sofa, what you want to have for breakfast, and what music you want to put on. There's some things we don't get to pick, but thankfully, a lot of things in our lives are up to our discretion. Here's my second tip for when you're distressed from not having enough autonomy. Think about the things on your mind that fall under the category have to do, and for a moment consider not doing them. You can say no. You can choose not to attend something. Are there some unpleasant consequences if you say no? Well, if there are, maybe you aren't forced to do all these tasks as much as you're choosing to do them. Seeing that we are in fact choosing our actions can help us feel loads better. Like we're not being bossed around, but people making choices because we are selecting consequences. Lastly, when we're upset because of situations that are beyond our control, especially when those circumstances feel pretty disastrous, a soothing thought is that we get to choose how we respond to the situation. Let's say you get injured or ill. And that's a situation that makes all of us feel powerless and upset but we can respond to it in a number of different ways. Maybe it's time we finally took that online course since we can't hit the gym for a while. Maybe it will feel good to join a support group to deal with trauma or grief from a really upsetting incident. Maybe it would feel good to even write a blog or write a book about your experience. Sharing your experience with other people can be a really productive, empowering response. We may have instincts to respond with bitterness, self-pity, hatred, and even anger, but these are only options. We also have the option to respond with humility, with care, with kindness, and with openness. I love biographies. I love human stories. It's part of why I do what I do. And the people I admire the most 
are people who take really crappy circumstances and find a way to respond to them in an inspiring way. Man, I want to be like that. I can think of some occasions where I have been proud of my response to adversity or criticism, but I can also recall some really extended pity parties and times I lashed out instead of rising above. Hey, I'm a work in progress too. Cindy was really feeling out of control, like she had zero autonomy. Partially, this was because her calendar was filling up with back-to-back meetings all day, every day. She decided to have a talk with her admin assistant and set up some parameters. At the very least, she needed 30 minutes to have lunch, and she would leave at 6 p.m. every day. She acknowledged on rare occasions she could handle working till 7, but that must not be the norm. The awesome thing was not only did Cindy take some action to respond to her distressing situation, but her assistant said, Oh good, you really needed to cut back. You've been working way too hard. Apparently, other people could see Cindy was setting herself up for a crash only by looking at her schedule. Emotional distress can also be created when our sense of personal value is impinged. This is closely linked with our need for belonging not being met. When we feel like we aren't connected to others, it can seem like it's because we must not be good enough to earn their closeness. So then we not only feel lonely and isolated, but it seems like that might be appropriate given what lousy people we are. It's such a painful combination. Self-esteem hits can come from our inner critic, judging us and undermining our self-esteem. You're too loud. Oh, you're too quiet. You're a loser. No one likes you. You spend too much money. You're such a cheapskate. You really can't win when your inner critic wants to pipe up. Your self-esteem can also fall from spending time with people who devalue you. They may ignore you, treat you like your feelings don't matter, or like you're less of a person. Experiencing racism, bias, or stigma can also lower our sense of personal value. To help yourself feel better, consider just not how much time you spend with other people, but how much time you spend with the right people, the folks who recognize your value and share some common ground. Feeling better might mean stepping away from relationships that leave you feeling less awesome. As for that inner critic, you can distance yourself from them as well. Counter their diatribe with love and understanding for yourself. When you notice you're being mean to yourself, stop. Step in like you would. Stop a bully from picking on somebody. Hey, leave her alone. She's just fine. If your sense of personal value or self-esteem is rooted externally, you may notice a pattern that you suffer regularly in this area. You feel lousy when you don't accomplish or achieve enough. You also might find you need other people's compliments and approval to feel like you're okay. To help yourself feel better from this kind of distress, you'll want to build an internally constructed self-esteem. This means liking and approving of yourself. And to like and approve of yourself, you have to really get to know yourself. If you're not sure how to go about doing that, check out the book Six Pillars of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon. 
It's one of my all-time favorites, and it helped me when I didn't have a very firm basis for my self-esteem. It helped me get over the need to accomplish or achieve things to feel good about myself. And safe to say, I bet it'll help you too if you check it out. You can still feel warm and fuzzy when somebody else gives you positive feedback. I think a compliment will always feel good. But compliments from other people will only add to your solid sense that you're not just okay. You're valuable beyond measure. So that's it for this episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the topic of self-monitoring and meeting your basic psychological needs. And let me know if there's another topic you're dying to know more about. I'm Georgie Fear, and you can reach me at georgie at nutritionloft.com. <laughs>